0: All right. Well, we are in this series called Doing Things That Matter, right? This is week three. You guys know this? And uh, I hope you've had a chance uh, to start reading the book. Here's what I'm convinced of is a lot of people have the book. Not near as many people have read it. Um, so if you would like to read it and you haven't picked one up, they're out here in the lobby. They're free. Also, uh, we have this version devotional that we've been talking about. And uh, I hope you've been doing that. It only takes five, ten minutes a day to do, but it kind of puts you in this kind of mindset. There's 14 devotionals, mindset of some of the conversations we're having about doing things that matter. And uh, man, God has used that way beyond we ever really imagined. Uh, maybe you've noticed, but since we started it four weeks ago, it went live. There's already 10,000 people that have completed the devotional, which is nuts, right? Like we're like, what did that? How did that happen? Uh, we really thought. When we did it, it was for our church. We wrote it and just put it out there and thought that would be an easy platform for everybody to use. And then if a few other people read it, great. And, uh, well, that's happened. Uh, more than a few people have read it, and we're just really grateful. It really is like we praise God for that. It's pretty cool. So week three of the series, I'd like, I'd like to begin today by showing you a story. Uh, a number of weeks ago, maybe even a couple months ago now, family came to me and said, hey, we have a story um, it's really a Doing Things That Matter story that's been going on in our family for a few years. And they sort of unpacked it, and I was so excited to hear about it and inspired by it. And I thought, well, I know when we're going to tell that story. <laughs> uh, we have s- this Doing Things That Matter series coming. And so we've been kind of waiting to share and uh, put it on video. Um, and so we will let you watch it. Isn't that a cool story? Man, wow, I'm praise God for that. And um, you know what? Uh, there's so many things I love about it. So many things I love about what God did and pierced his heart and continues to do. One, he's got parents and you know, they're sitting up there that are behind him and that are helping him figure it out, right? I mean, how cool is that? And um, Responding, though, to the promptings that God gives us when he gives us a picture and a need and saying, I'm going to do something about it. I mean, those was his exact exact words. I, I saw something and I didn't want to do something about it, and that's what Yeah, thanks, um, JJ and Nikki and Pierce. I don't know if Pierce is in here, yeah? Um, Thanks for sharing. And I want to talk about this today because I, I believe this sets us up so beautifully for a conversation about how we have these moments in life in which we do get a vision, we get a dream. And there's these moments in which God lets us see something the way we should see it. And we have a decision to make then. What are we going to do about it? Are are we going to step into the thing that God's given us a picture for? Are we going to maybe shrink in fear or in doubt or in busyness? (laughs) You know, maybe you've figured it out by now, but this whole doing things that matter uh, idea has a few um, points under it. We believe that people who do things that matter will dream wildly, live differently, love recklessly, lead courageously. And we'll talk through those throughout the rest of our series and um, but today as we talk a little bit about dreams, I want to I want to think about it from a perspective of um, not just kind of how the world portrays dreams, right to have some dream to go conquer the world or the American dream and you may love the subject of dreams. I, I, here's what I understand about dreams is some of us love it and we're like pursuing dreams, we're all out in it, and we love it. And then there's some of us that are like annoyed by dreams. You know what I mean? We're annoyed at the subject because it's just like overdone and you're like, "Hey, this is just not real. Like give it a break on the whole dream talk. And, and, and if you're there, I get it. I, I can get tired of it too, and I would just say, maybe today, listen for the Lord to speak to something different. It's not about. Maybe some of those conversations you made it about, and it's about maybe God giving us a vision to see something. God giving us a vision to see the world as he wants us to see it. And so when I read the scriptures, right, when I read the Bible, it's full of stories about people who get visions and people who have dreams. And there's so many great stories. I know there's the story of Joseph, of course, who has these literal dreams about what God was going to do with his life, and, 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 he, and he does it, and it's just this powerful kind of tale of Joseph's life just doing things he can't even imagine ever doing when he was when he was younger, that God took him to do. And you get to the stories like Moses and this aging man, right, that stutters. And, and God calls him out of this place that he thought he was done. And he brings him to do things he never thought he would ever do. That's what the gospel does, right? That's what Jesus does. That's what God does. He calls us to do things we never thought we'd ever do. And I love the story of, there's so many stories, right? I love the story of of Joshua and Caleb. They're about to enter the promised land. They're they're excited. They're jacked up. And then all the people around them say, no, 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 we can't go. It's it's too dangerous. And they shrink in fear, and they don't enter the promised land for 40 years. And it's actually 45 years later. They're about to finally enter the promised land. Caleb is now 85 years old, and he says, I'm just as vigorous now and just as strong as, as I ever have been, and I'm going to go and Take this land that God has promised. And I'm always compelled by that story going, man, if we had 85-year-olds like that and we had 40-year-olds like that and 20-year-olds like that that talked that way and believed in God's promises, what what would God do with his people? There's a story in Mark 10 that I believe is just, there's actually two stories that Mark connects. They're unrelated, yet he connects them in a pretty cool way. And so if you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark 10, starting in verse 35. We're talking, it, it starts with the story of James and John, and they have a request of Jesus. It says this, then, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do for us whatever we ask. You ever thought about that? That question is nuts. I mean, that, that statement, right? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Pretty bold. But I love how Jesus responds in verse 36. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Then they replied. This is a big question, by the way. They replied, Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, think about this request. He says, what do you want me to do for you? They say, I want to sit at your right and your left. This is actually, they're requesting uh, prime seating, first of all, right? They're requesting to be first in line. This is like, Jesus, we really want to be your favorites. Will you put us close to you when you get to you in your glory? But really what is going on here, they're asking for something. They're asking to become great along with Jesus. They're asking to be known. They're asking to be seen. They're actually asking for power, aren't they? This is, in some ways, there There seems to be something about this that isn't about Jesus or about anything other than themselves and what they want to receive now in some ways that's not always bad to ask for things that we want to receive and another story we'll read in a minute that there's some validity to that yet in this particular story Jesus is trying to portray something he's like you want to become great I get it but let me tell you a lesson about greatness and he says this in uh in verse 43 He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This is how he responds to him. He says, no, I can't give you that. I can't give you that. And then he says this. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So He says, no, I'm not going to give you this, but I'm going to tell you something about what is truly great. I read this the other day. Someone said, so many people aspire to become great men and women of God. You ever heard someone say that? I want to be a great man of God. But they said this, so many people aspire to become great men and women of God. Perhaps we should simply be men and women of a great God. That's good, huh? I love that. So this is his response to James and John. You don't really know what greatness is about don't know what you're asking for. It's actually about serving. Uh, that's the mark of greatness. So this story begins, and it reminds us that God's not behind every dream we have. You know what I mean? There's dreams that we have that aren't really the dreams that God has for us, and he's saying, no, I have something better for you. And then right after this story in James and John, if you keep reading in the Bible, the very next story is about a guy named Bartimaeus who's blind, and he's a beggar, and he's in the city of Jericho, and there's a a fascinating connection between these stories who, in a lot of ways, are unrelated. But It says this in verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, and he began to shout, Jesus, Son of David! Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I love that he shouted. Because it says this, it says, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love that he shouts above the rebuking crowd. You know what I mean? Like he is, he is crying out over those telling him to be quiet and telling him no. But for this, in this particular story, he's not gonna be denied. He's not gonna be told no once again because you know this guy has been told no time and time again, which makes me wonder how many of us, how many of us need to rise above the noise in our life. Cry out to Jesus. Because many of us have been told no over and over again and people try and pull us out of the clouds right back down to anchoring us to the sea of sameness. You know what I'm saying? So Jesus stopped, this is verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Now isn't that interesting, the crowd changes, right? They were trying to rebuke him and shut him up, tell him no, the crowd changes, that crowd is fickle, right? Perhaps who we are and what we do shouldn't be determined by other people is what I'm thinking. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Bartimaeus is approached Jesus and then he's immediately asked, what do you want me to do for you? This is the same question, isn't it, that we saw just a few minutes earlier, and James and John, they have this request. They say, we want you to do whatever you we want. And he says, well, what do you want me to do for you? But, so Mark is up to something here. He's connecting two stories that he experienced in his life when he was with Jesus, and he puts them right by each other because there is something to be learned here. There's something to be, that he's trying to tell us. And the blind man said this. Unsurprisingly, he goes, Rabbi, I want to see, but in some ways I do find that surprising because he's been asking things for, his, for things his entire life, but he's probably never asked anyone for sight. So he knows who he's standing in front of. He says, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So this question, what do you want me to do for you? So in one instance, Jesus is asked for power and greatness, and he says, I can't I can have no part of that. And then in another instance, he was asked for vision, and he gave it. Now, I've taught the Bartimaeus story a lot in my life. It's one of those stories, like four or five times, probably, even in this church. I don't know. But this week, I was like, all right, Lord, show me something new. What is it that you want me to see here? And it was like I got a picture of Bartimaeus But Bartimaeus wasn't just a man and a story that I think we can kind of gain some insights from, but that Bartimaeus is people. Bartimaeus is humanity itself. Bartimaeus is representative of how we are all, in many ways, needy and hungry and blind. That we can become blind to the world around us, that we can become blind. We can become blind to the possibilities, blind to what God wants to do, the things he's calling us to. We can become blind even to the brokenness that exists around us and just look right through it. We can become blind to the goodness that he does and not give him credit and glory. So again, in one story, James and John, they want to ride the coattails, right, of Jesus all the way to the top. And then in the other story, a man wanted the ability to see the world. And maybe we can look at the story with that perspective today. That in one story, they were asking to be seen by others as great. And in this story with Bartimaeus, he was asking to see all the greatness of God's world. It's pretty good, right? I was watching a TED Talk. Anybody watch TED Talks occasionally the other day? By a guy named Elon Musk. Anybody heard of Elon Musk? like saying his name. It's like the most manly, futuristic name ever. Elon Musk. And it makes sense what he does. He's the... He's the uh, creator of Tesla, if you know what that is. It's a car company. I have a picture of Elon Musk here. Um, Isn't that awesome? I think that is like the cool, if I had that profile pic for myself, (laughs) I would be on top of the world too. He's sitting on a car he made and in the background he's got spaceships. Um, Now I call them spaceships, you may call them rockets, but spaceships sounds way cooler. And uh, anyway, he not only has created Tesla, but he's created a, a lot of other companies. He's he's like the new innovator and creator and futurist in the world. He's like Steve Jobs times 20, right? And and this guy is dreaming up all sorts of crazy things. And one of the things is this company that he started called SpaceX, in which he is dreaming that in his lifetime, within the next 40 years, he wants to have a colony on Mars of a million people. This is real. I'm like, is this I ask myself, is this real? And he's real. He really believes that this is possible. He's spending billions of dollars to do it. I'm like hard-pressed to spend a few bucks on some, you know, glasses for the eclipse. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's how much I care about space. You know what I mean? But I, I, the good news is, is I do, I do know some people that would fit really well on Mars. <laughs> so anyway, he has this dream, right? And he said something about space travel that I was sort of enamored by. It was sort of interesting. He said, he said people have the tendency in life to forget and to regress. That was, that was a good point. <laughs> Suggestion, turn the email off. <laughs> that was amazing. Um... Have the peop- as people, we have the tendency to forget and regress. He commented how in 1969, we made it to the moon, allegedly, right? <laughs> um, made it to the moon. And then after that, space exploration, human space exploration, went to the shuttles, it was, it was you know, space shuttles. And, and, and actually, they weren't orbiting as far out as the moon. They were closer to the Earth. And now we know, in, in the U.S., we don't even do human space exploration anymore. It's just satellites going, people are grounded. And he says, we're regressing in this world of space, the frontier out there. He said, and this has happened so many times in history, and he compared it to other moments in history where the Egyptians, they go and build the pyramids, and then they forgot how they built the pyramids. He talks about how they, the Romans built the aqueducts, and they forgot how to build the aqueducts. And he says, we don't need to regress. We need to keep pushing forward in our humanity. We need to keep pushing forward in the things that we, that's, that's possible, now, here's the thing about when I was listening to, listening to Elon Musk, he was also commented when he was actually asked about God, and he, he's, a, he's an atheist. He, he doesn't believe in God. And here I'm, I'm thinking, like, man, this is crazy. There's this guy, and he is dreaming about a colony on Mars. And the people of God are hard-pressed to have a vision for their family, much less a vision for their city or a vision for their world. And I'm going, something is messed up here. We're dreaming about Mars Yet we sit on our hands, and I believe God gives us dreams. He deposits in us what He wants us to be able to see. And then I think we often regress. We forget those dreams. We forget the things that He showed us. And we move backwards instead of forward into who He's called us to be. We become blinded by things like the American dream. We become predispositioned to survive first, then dream second, you know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys think, I gotta take care of business first, the things that have to to be done, what does it take for me to survive? That's where I'll put my energy first, and then whatever is left over, perhaps, maybe, I'll give it a little bit to the dream category and to the kingdom category. And so what happens is what is first is survival, instead of the visions that God is giving us. What's first is getting through life and the life that's being handed to us versus living the life that God is giving us a vision for. Is anybody with me? Those things have blinded us. We've we've collectively limited the limitless. We've limited the unlimited power of God in our lives because we become blinded by the ways of the flesh. I don't know about you, but the system of expectations in this world is a pretty, pretty, pretty heavy thing. How many feel the crushing weight of expectations in your life? Maybe it's the expectations of, of friends or family or, or the job, and it's these unrealistic expectations that are placed on you, and that is what consumes who you are. How many of you have ever felt or been blind by the lure of normalcy? You know what I'm saying? Your happy place is just comfort and just normal. And that is so true. Some of us, we just want to be able to go to our homes and have our cozy little spots, and we just want to have a normal life. That's blinded us. And I wonder how many of us have been blinded by the fear of failure. We spend so much absorbent amount of energy trying to make sure we don't fail because we don't want to look bad to anybody. So we never take the risk. We never step out in faith. We never do the dream that God's put in our heart because we don't know if we can do it. Trust me, you can't do it. He can. Or perhaps we've been blinded by the commitment to please people. You know what I'm talking about? So many of us, were actually more committed and we put more energy and focus and time and prayer into pleasing people. We have more and deeper commitment to that than we do the commitment to God in our life. It's quite... It's quite upside down, isn't it? It's actually quite startling when we start to face ourselves in the mirror and go, What am I committed to? What am I blinded by? Those things are all matter of the flesh, but maybe today you can hear Jesus saying something to you. And he's saying, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And instead of, of asking for more of what you already have, because here's what we do in prayer: we ask for more of what we already have, we ask for tweaks to our jobs. We ask for just a little bit more money, which a lot of us already have some money, so we just want more of it. We ask for more of what we already have, and instead of asking God, when he says, what do you want me to do for you, maybe we should ask him for vision. Maybe we should ask him for a picture of really what he wants to see, or what he wants us to see in in this world. For some of us, we've been asking for our own measures of greatness, like James and John. We've been asking the wrong thing and maybe it's time that we ask for the ability to see the world in all of his greatness and what he wants to do in it you know we have a dream as a church to bring life to the city we've yeah obviously we say that all the time if you've been with us and we really want to do that we really want we don't want it to just be words right we really want to do it and we really want to see we want to love our city well we want to see God do incredible things and so there are going to be things that we do as a church that we're going to collectively say this is our dream, and we're going to get back to your dream in a second, but collectively say this is our dream and something we all want to pursue and get into. And So we, I want to show you something real quick. Can you put this up here? We've been thinking about our dream, bringing life right to our city, and so we've tried to put some handles to it. I talk about it all the time, like we need to be able to grab a hold of something, and so bringing life initiatives. I, I just wanted to touch on this. I'm going to actually be talking about these a lot over the next months. Years hopefully, right? But we thought what if we could really take some big steps into these dreams, these things that he's given us a vision for, and actually do more with it. Like Pierce said, I had to do something about it, right? And so you see up there the first one, love your neighbor, like how do we actually take new steps in that? We aren't just saying, hey we want to value loving your neighbor, we actually want to be participants together and actively doing this in our city because we have a picture where we have all these people scattered throughout the city and they're like light, they're like lampposts in these city or in these neighborhoods that are shining God's light and we want to be able to say, let's take the, let's take the blanket, let's take the cover off the light so we can shine to the neighborhood. And this is what we want to be able to do. We want to be able to say, how can we be more strategic about this? How can we dream about this? We'll talk more about loving your neighbor soon. You also see up there's local schools and, and, and it would, it's unbelievable what God's doing in this space. And we really truly see that the schools around us are a couple things. One, it's a place that we can serve. We can be servants. What is it? What did Jesus say when he said, you want to become great? First be a servant. I didn't come to, ser- or to be served, but to serve. We have to be servants first in this city. And local schools is this amazing place where the door is being swung wide open. I can't wait to tell you about all the crazy things that God is doing in this space. But this is a place where there's a generation of students. Generation Z is what they're called. And they, they need the love of Jesus. They need to hear it. They need to know it. And I don't know how we're going to get it to them, but we want to get it to them. And instead of hoping they show up in our doors someday, what if we went to them and served their teachers and served them as students and served their parents? Who knows what God will do? Our, our, our responsibility is to be faithful to the things that he shows us Step into those moments and see what he does. And then global life, so excited about this, we want to get serious about what is God wanting us to do around the world. Now, we're a small church in some people's words. (laughs) How are we going to make a difference around the world? It's about saying where are the opportunities that we can provide relief to those who are in need around the world and who need help and where are the areas that we can we can step into relationship and we can build relationship and have a kingdom purpose relationship with organizations or ministries or churches or people in other parts of the world to say, you know what, we care about spreading the gospel around the world. And we want to be, because we are resourced to do so, a catalyst to that. And so we're already taking steps toward to this. I'm really excited to, to, to talk about some of the things we're doing. The very first thing we're doing this year, just to kind of push ourselves forward is we're actually going to do a mission trip. Uh, we're going to be going to Haiti in February, February 17th through 24th. I'll tell you more about it later. But we're, we're going to try and take some steps into providing or creating relationship. You know, you can be in prayer this week, even tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow, Christy and I, Mike and Sonny, we're, we're going to Haiti. Um, mission of Hope. Anytime there's a new church partnership, which we are as a OKC community, they invite the leadership of the church into four vision trips. So we're going, and, and then they said, "Hey, since you're coming, really be in prayer for this. Hey, we're having a pastors training for a bunch of Haitian pastors. It'd be like 300. Do you want to lead it and teach it? No, <laughs> I don't. But God will call you to do things you never wanted to do, right? So we're doing it. Three sessions, 90 minute long. I don't even know what we're going to say. We don't. What am I going to say? <laughs> we're going to talk about Jesus." I don't know. It's going to be good, but be in prayer. We need it. But what God wants to do in that space, I think, is significant, and we're going to step into it in terms of this global life and this initiative we want to do as a church. And it's not just going to be relegated to Haiti. It's going to be in other ways as well. And then the last one we see is friends. Friendship. And and, and we use that word intentionally because we believe there are many kingdom purpose friends in our city that are doing great work through nonprofits and other ministries, and we want to be a better friend to them. Here's the deal. We can't do everything. We can't be about everybody's cause, but we can say, you know what? God's given us a vision for this particular group or organization or people, and we want to support them and be good friends. A good example is Hope House OKC. We have a great relationship with them. Brandy and others work, in our, or work at that organization in our church, and we've been friends with them, but we want to be better friends. And so we're going to talk about how do we really step into that more uh, intentionally. So those are just a few things, right? And I'm going to talk to you more about all these things but I say that because we have dreams collectively as a church that we want all of us stepping into together, but, to, but today I really wanted to encourage you to say this. I'm talking about what do you see? What do you see? And if you don't see dreams, you don't have vision for your life, or for this city, or for your family, well maybe today is your day that things begin to change because of the world. The city, it's waiting for you to unleash your God-given ability to dream on the people and places you intersect every day. I've said that for years. And what I mean by that is so many times we think dreams are for somewhere else or for someone else, and, and, and we think about places that we aren't, and I'm saying you are, you are placed right where you are, and, and God is, and the world is needing you to unleash your God-given ability to dream for those people and those places that you intersect every day. What could you do for them, with them? And I believe we need, a fresh, we need fresh encounters with God when I say that we need moments where God gives us eyes to see. Erwin McManus, who's like this writer-pastor guy, he said, what you care about is what you dream about. That's pretty true. What you care about is what you dream about. And we need to care about the right things. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were... Uh, as group leaders, we were together and we were talking about what God was going to do with this year. And, and Michael was talking and he said, you know, one thing we need to do every time we gather is we need to pray. We need to pray and talk, have conversation about people who need Jesus, people who don't know Christ, who need salvation. And I, and I was thinking about how little as the community of God, we, we talk about that at times. And is that a reflection of what we care about? Because if we care about it and we're talking and praying about, guess what God's going to do? He's going to start giving His vision for it, and we're going to start dreaming about it. And so many of us are so paralyzed in the idea of sharing our faith, and I'm wondering, well, perhaps it's because we don't care about it enough, so therefore we're not getting any dreams about it. And if we cared about spreading the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus, maybe we'd start getting a vision for how to actually do it in today's world. Are you with me? We need fresh encounters with God, and what I mean by that is we need to have spiritual encounters with people. God is giving us the vision to see. I was talking with a friend a couple weeks ago who just got back from a mission trip himself. He was in Cambodia and and he was asking, he was telling me a story about how he asked a friend who lived there, an American friend who is now living there doing um, missionary work. And he said, how do you guys relate with people like, how do you actually start to share and talk about Jesus with others, you know, in a context like this? And he said, well, you know, we have spiritual encounters, we have, th- our approach is pretty simple. He said, uh, they would simply go up to people and they would, as they're in conversation, they would ask them, hey, is there anything we can be praying for, praying for you about? And and the people would look at them and they would say, well, well yeah, of course, you could be praying for You know, I have this friend who's sick, or I have this need in our life. And, you know, the whole gamut of prayer requests, just like any of us would do. Like, there's things that people want prayer for. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name then. Now, what's what's important about that is, in this particular city, there's all sorts of monks that are there, uh, Buddhist Buddhist monks that go around the city praying. And they would go into uh, shops, even. And they would start praying, and the interesting thing about this culture is that the monks expect to be paid for their prayers, that's how they live. And so when they would go into a shop and they'd start praying with a shop owner, then there's a lot of spiritual guilt in this culture, and so they would feel guilt and they would actually then make sure they pay the monk. Well, he's seeing this in the city, right? And he's seeing the people in places he intersects every day, and God gives him a vision. He's like, I need to go pray for people, but in the name of Jesus. I'm not going to charge them. <laughs> But then he does, he does this. He says, after he says, I'm going to pray for him in the name of Jesus, he gives him a card with his email on it. He says, when your prayer is answered, email me. He's getting, he's getting emails from all over the city. And, and I think about that story and I think our city not that different. And, and, and most of us wouldn't pray if, if we ask someone we pray for to, to, put, that, to put that little step in there, I'm going to pray for it in Jesus' name. And, and when your prayers answered, let me know. We, we, we stop usually there before that point. And so he did, he did a couple things. One, he had a vision, right? He saw a city. He saw what was going on with these mountains. He saw something that was in need, and he stepped into it. He said, I'm going to do something about it. And then, and then he had the courage to, to pronounce the name, proclaim the name of Jesus. And then he had the courage and the faith to believe that God would actually do something he couldn't do. And he's, he believed that Jesus would do it. And for us, I wonder if that's really how we live and how we think and do we believe that Jesus can do the things that we can't do? Jesus is asking us, what do you want me to do for you? And I don't think we, we hear the question right. Bartimaeus answered, I want to see. And we sit in here and we hear these words and, and I don't know if we're already praying this or not, but we should be praying, God, I want eyes to see. Holy Spirit, give us vision. Holy Spirit, would you just would you take the scales off my eyes so I can see the world and all of your greatness? Would I quit making this life about me and would I make it about something else? Would I care about things outside of myself and start caring about your kingdom come? I love the words from the prophet Joel. Peter says them later when he's doing this amazing sermon in Acts two and it says this, when the last days come, I will give my spirit to everyone. Oh, okay, everyone. <laughs> your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men and women will have dreams. In those days, I will give my spirit to my servants, both men and women, and they will prophesy. And prophesy, prophecy, right? That's one of those like weird, like, Uh, I don't know what to think about that word. It's like too Pentecostal for me, words. Let me explain it. It's not. God gives people words. He gives them words, and it's from him, and they they have a a word to share, or he gives them vision, and then they go and they tell those people what the Lord is saying to this world, and they proclaim it with truth, not about themselves, but about what God is saying. What a beautiful thing. That God speaks through his people, that he gives us vision, he gives us dreams, he gives us words to say. Later on, Paul would write and he would say, we should should really eagerly desire the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Oh, we can desire it, we can ask for it. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. I want to have the ability to see what you want me to see in this world. I want the ability to speak into this world the things that you want me to say. We can eagerly desire that. We can easily ask for it. It reminds me of a story, right? Whenever, whenever uh, Peter and John, they get arrested, they just healed this dude, a long story, I'll tell, I'm actually going to tell a story in a few weeks, and they're in whatever, the, San, you know, the jail, whatever that is, and they're telling them, quit talking about Jesus. And they say, we can't quit talking about the things that we've seen and heard. I want, they've seen too much, right? They have seen too much, and I want to see too much. Is anybody with me? I want to see too much that I can't quit talking about it, that I can't, I can't quit proclaiming the things that Jesus has said and done, and I just can't contain it. I want to see. So Jesus, he says, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see, Jesus. I want to see the world as you want me to see it. Is anybody with me? Come on. I'm absolutely convinced that God is waiting for us to tell him, what he wants us to do for him. He's saying, what do you want me to do for you? What is the thing you can't do for yourself that nobody else can do for you that only I can do? So that you can proclaim that I truly am God and that you can proclaim that I am here. I believe this whole conversation about dreams, it's not about what cool entrepreneurial thing you can think of. It's about the vision that God gives you to see the world and what he would do with it and how he's inviting you into that story to radically transform the people and places you see every day in the name of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. We begin with that prayer, Lord. We want to see. We want to see, God. I want to give you a few moments to think beyond that and to pray beyond that. But I'm guessing that I could say some things and I I want to lead you in a moment of response. I'm guessing I can say some things that are true, but um, meaning how many would say you need to see, you need a vision? You maybe could say, I've become blinded by some things. And this morning, the simple simple response that you want to say is, Lord, I want to see. If that's you today, no one's looking around, just lift your hand as a way of responding to say, I want to see God. I need to see God. Give me a vision, Lord. You may already have vision, but you want more vision. You want to see too much. Just lift your hand up and say, I want to see, Lord. Jesus, give us vision. Holy Spirit. Let us see. Specifically, I want to ask another question. Is is there anybody in here that has a particular need? It's a struggle. It's a weight. It's something that you can't quite escape. You're always thinking about it. it. You would call it a problem. And you don't know how to get out of it. And you need God to illuminate a vision for you. Is there anybody in here like that? Would you raise your hand? I have a struggle. I have a need. I need vision for it. I don't know what to do. I'm a little bit lost with it. I'm struggling with it, and I need help. Lift your hand if that's you. In the name of Jesus, I pray for for the brothers and sisters in here that need you right now to give them a vision and a way out. Let them see what you want them to see. Let them find the light at the end of the tunnel. Father, I pray also for each and every one of us. I won't make you raise your hand on this because I'm going to assume everybody agrees. We want to have a vision for people who don't know you, Jesus. We want to have a vision for the people around us that need you. Lord, we need to care about that more so we can dream about it more, Father. Would you give us a heart and a capacity that would grow for those who need Jesus in their life? And may we be your light bearers and your light, your lampstands in this city and in our neighborhoods and workplaces and the people and places we intersect every day, Father. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us a vision for those who need you. In a moment, we're going to sing the words of amazing grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And while we sing those words, I really truly want to invite those of us who say, I want to see pour our hearts out to him. You may want to come to this altar, and I believe we should come to the altar, and we should pray, and we should cry out to God and say, Lord, I want to see. And so this altar will be open. Our prayer team will be here. Father, we pray that as we take this moment and we give it to you, that Lord, we would, this would be our heart's cry today, that we can in unison thank you for the grace of Jesus, and thank you that you've asked each and every one of us what do you want me to do for you. And I pray, Father, we don't, we don't ask for things we have already asked for, and we don't ask for things for our own greatness, but it's all about having a vision. We pray these things in your name. Amen.